What are we doing? Uh, podcast. You want to do a podcast? Oh, okay. I know we're going to have to break away from all the uh, home repair, but that's... <laughs> hey, so um, I don't know if anybody's been paying attention to this podcast. If you guys have been paying attention to this podcast, you know that I'm not the world's greatest Airbus fan. All right. So you guys are going to have to kind of like keep me under control here. The Airbus 380, Airbus 380 is fading, is about to be discontinued. Didn't they just introduce that thing like a year and a half ago? <laughs> no, it's been almost 10 years. When it wasn't 10 years ago, remember the year we were at Oshkosh and there was a, it was a, a 380 and a 7, what was it, 87, a Boeing 787 there, same year. I think it was the same year. In my mind, I it was. I don't think so. I don't know if it's a 707 or, or what. The A380, according to Wikipedia, made its first flight on April 27, 2005. And entered service, commercial service, on 25 October 2007. So it's just over 10 years in service. Yeah. Okay. That's still not very long, considering that there's all this talk about whether they're going to discontinue it. Oh, oh, absolutely true. Uh, particularly when you step back. The Airbus, let me put it in these terms that all of our general aviation friends, at least the ones that have been around a while, will, will grok instantly. The Airbus A380 is the beach starship for the Airbus. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's good. So what? Airbus is trying to get them all back, and he's gonna, they're going to they're gonna crush them. No, but they, they spent way too much money to uh, develop an airplane. <clears throat> excuse me. That develop an airplane that was already brushing up against economic obsolescence when it finally started to get into service. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What's the, uh, I'm also kidding aside, what's the nature of the economic obsolescence? Too big? Yeah, actually, uh, there, the idea behind the A380 was very simple and seemingly logical. That is, as airports, airports get more constrained and they can't handle more flights because of runway acceptance rates and airport uh, acceptance rates, the only way to put through more passengers is to use bigger airplanes. The mm -hmm. uh, problem with that is that the Airbus A380 went so far that it a, limited the number of airports that it could, that, that could handle the A380. Right, yeah. Not just in runway strength, but in taxiway clearance and gate uh, accessibility. Right. But then it was so exorbitantly expensive uh, that the carriers that have bought it, that, that, that are operating the majority of them, are uh, top-end carriers that cater to really high-dollar passengers. And there's just a limited, uh, limited supply of folks that are thrilled to uh, spend that kind of money to have basically a private suite in flight, mm -hmm. the, the fact that it's, its capacity is about 500 passengers is irrelevant in this case because none of them are configured to handle 500 passengers. The ones like Emirates has is, is, uh, is been flying, they're configured with so much space for so many passengers that they usually only carry about 350, 375. Mm -hmm. They're giving away a lot of space at a premium price. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
and it's not that it's losing money, but there's not the market out there, the market depth for that, that the, uh, the executives at Airbus had hoped when they started designing this thing. Now, let's be honest here. It started designing this thing almost 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was one of the the parts of the wing were one of the first big projects that Airbus in Wichita landed through a competitive in-house bid to do the wing design work. And they did a big chunk of the wing work there, working live through Internet connections, Ethernet connections with CATIA software between French engineers and Wichita engineers. Uh, a very efficient process. In the meantime, the... Airbus Industries twins have just been superb and real money makers, and the Boeing twins, the wide bodies, specifically the Triple Seven uh, and the Seven Eighty Seven Dreamliner, uh, are just so much more fuel efficient per passenger mile. They don't have the airport access limitations that the A three eighty has. They don't have the taxiway issues that the A three eighty has, and they're a boatload less expensive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's not a big, deep, wide market out of there. I would imagine, I wouldn't be surprised if somebody in Japan was operating one or two in a shuttle configuration the way they've operated uh, 747s for years with, you know, seating for 500, but it's basically like a New York shuttle. Mm-hmm. There's no amenities, you know, it's right. no We're- first class. They pile them in, they fly 90 minutes, they pile them out, they pile them in, they fly 90 minutes, they pile them out. Really? So on. That's between so that's Japan- what's happened to Jap- the 388. That's between Japanese domestic locations. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. 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 Interesting. Who's the big buyer, the big airline? Is it like like uh, uh, Emirates or something like that was the, 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 one, the customer that they've got their fingers crossed would actually order some 380s so they could keep making them is it emirates or dubai or i forget exactly well primary users are lufthansa singapore and emirates yeah. and emirates i think has the largest fleet yeah. of them yeah jeb didn't uh, you didn't you go someplace on a 380 sometime recently weren't you one i've never i've never been on a 380 mm, really and david you don't fly international very much have you ever been on a 380 only the one that was at Oshkosh. Right. You've been in, but you didn't, and, and you didn't go in the air. You didn't go on a flight, right? You just got to tour no. it. Yeah. No, I, I, I dashed up there to take some photos and then dashed out again. Right, right. I'm just curious whether it's a, what it's like to fly. I mean, not, not, uh, not to pilot, but to, you know, what's the ride like, I wonder. But uh, um, I don't know. Oh, presumably it'd be pretty good because, you know, heavens knows, it's that's a big, heavy airplane with a... Uh, a for its size, a moderate wing loading. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, the wings have a lot of flex. So, you know, inertia is is going to smooth out a lot of stuff that would make a, a uh, 737 bounce around a little bit. Won't, will barely affect a 380, sure. or for that matter, a 787. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyways, okay. As terms of flight experience, handling it, understand that it is surprisingly nimble for its size and weight okay surprising i wish that was a little shorter that would be an episode title right there surprisingly nimble for its size and weight yes i i think i might have dated her (laughs) no 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 see you can't talk like that these days um on the other end of the spectrum 
Um, wasn't Embraer in the news recently? Didn't they do a deal with like Boeing or get bought by Boeing or something happened there? Not yet. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> they're, they're in discussions about uh, either Boeing acquiring uh, an interest in uh, Embraer, the Brazilian airplane maker, yeah. or, or in Boeing acquiring them outright, which I, I have a feeling will be a really hard sell in Brasilia. Uh, that's you know that's a national industry down there. That's the pride of the country. Sure, rightly so. Those are those seem like nice airplanes. As a passenger, they're very nice. I I I, I always get nervous when I get ticketed onto an Airbus, but when I get ticketed onto the Embraeras, I'm no problem. Well, too many too many too many domestic uh, general aviation executives failed to take seriously what a formidable. Uh, manufacturer and competitor Embraer has been and was 30 years ago when they were sneaking in uh, turbo props into the regional market mm-hmm. and uh, oh it'll never get beyond that yeah. Uh, yeah and that's from the people who said oh, they'll never get into those they'll never get beyond you know licensed uh, Cessnas yeah and uh, the, some of the same voices that said Cirrus would never get a type certificate for an airplane right. with a parachute right there's a consistent thread through there you can pick out pretty easily. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. Well, all right. Well, we've apparently turned into an airline podcast. It's my own doing. I, I mind my fault, but maybe we should stop and move well, on. Yeah. Let me just interject. Well, there there the are biggest, A380s the biggest... operating. There are A380s operating privately. Yeah. Oh, well, well there you absolutely. go. There you go. I'm sorry, Jeb. We interrupted you. What were you going to say? No, I was just going to say the biggest problem the A380 has is it has four engines. Uh, you're yeah. serious. It's yeah, yeah. And what what makes that Everything, a problem? Um, too much of a fuel burn for the uh, performance mm-hmm. for the for the for the payload. Are are there engines in existence these days that two of them would push that big aircraft? Uh, if not, there's some stuff close that yeah. could be scaled up. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But. But, but then, then, I mean, then you get into problems with ground clearance for the. Yeah, but Dave's right. I mean, the 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 airplane is just a little bit too big for for the market. Right. Um, and one of the reasons, let me put it, one of the reasons its size has made it not as popular as as Airbus had hoped, in my view, is the fuel burn because it's got four engines. Mm-hmm. If it had two engines and a slightly smaller uh, cabin, well, you know, it'd be an A three fifty. Uh, or or a, a trip seven, um, and those markets are already kind of taken. Right, right, all right. Yeah, airline airline business comes down to pennies per seat mile. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and sure. uh, you throw in the uh, the fact that to, you've got double the maintenance load for the power plants alone, double the maintenance load, uh, probably thirty percent more fuel burn in total. Uh, I mean, getting off the ground and getting up to altitude is is the worst part of it. Yeah, yeah. And then they can throttle back, and those four engines are loafing, relatively yeah. speaking. Pennies per seat mile and and dollars per uh, uh, checked bag. Um, and uh, I was booking a ticket just now, just recently, just the other day. I was booking a ticket on an airline that I don't usually fly. Actually, I don't usually book my tickets. We have a we have a, a travel agency that usually does it. So I was booking my own ticket the other day. And, and it kind of made me shake my head that the the uh, the pricing table that they showed me for my ticket um, was touting the fact that 
there was no charge for me having carry-on bags. All right, it's like my carry-on <laughs> luggage was, was going to be free. Lucky me. Oh, boy. All right. Anyways, go ahead. So, w- one last thought, and then we're going to move on. If pretty soon they're going to be charged. They, they won't charge you so much to get on. <clears throat> They'll be charging you to get off. Yeah, okay. <laughs> hey, welcome, folks, to Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. This is episode uh, 445, and we're recording it on Thursday, January 18th, 2018. I'm Jack Hodgson, and I'm coming to you today from the Hidden River Home for Wayward Aviators, a.k.a. the Florida home of Jeb Burnside, where I have once again arrived and am making myself totally at home. He'll tell you all about it. Uh, Anyways, I'm here uh, in our virtual hangar talking to my two good friends. Uh, uh, First of all, for sure, is uh, uh, from also somewhere near Sarasota, Florida, Jeb Burnside. Hi, Jeb. (laughs) How you doing? How you How you doing? Long time no talk to. I know, huh? We've been having a good time. This is... This is live from down the hall. Yeah, that's right. Live from down the hall. Yeah, right. (laughs) It's like Jeb and I are – it's too bad we can't get face-to-face on these. It's a technical issue. If anybody cares, I'll explain it to them. But, uh, yeah, we're in separate rooms in Jeb's home here. And uh, um, once again, thank you, Jeb, for uh, hosting me and letting me come down here and escape the winter and – my pleasure. Uh, and uh, we've been, we've been <clears> having – Come down sometime in the summertime when, you know, it's not 32 degrees in the morning. I guess. And it literally was 32 degrees this morning, which is like, I, even I know is unusual. Um, it was pretty chilly this morning. But we've been having fun doing home improvement. As usual, we're doing various home improvement projects. Um, and uh, we were working on one earlier today. And I'm happy to say I, I, that the, it was only a very small explosion. Uh, <laughs> i don't i don't think they heard i don't think they heard that noise in town no i don't think so i don't think so i don't think they heard it yeah, yeah. no yeah no um there was a slight so a slight so, escape of excess pressure or however you want to characterize it but uh yeah we've been having fun <clears> with these things and, there was a loud pop. <laughs> well, it's like, yeah, because David, I was, uh, so David, uh, Jeb's down in his hangar working on this thing, all right, and I had been helping him, and I stepped away to do something, and as I'm walking back to the hangar, I hear him testing the thing, and then suddenly there's like a bang, and I walked up to him, and I said, did I just hear a bang? And he said, yeah, as a matter of fact, you did. So uh, we're, uh, I don't know how much detail you want to go into Jeb here, but what we're doing, but uh, there was a small explosion. There were no hinges. We're, 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 we've undertaken unnatural acts with an air compressor. <laughs> with an air compressor. Yeah. Okay. There you go. That doesn't conjure an image that's going to disturb people at all. My other good friend here in the virtual hangar coming to us from the air capital of the world, Wichita, Kansas is Dave Higdon. Hi, David. What are you doing? What's going on? Oh, right at the moment, my imagination's out of control. Give me a second. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. Okay, now that we've blown that minute, uh, we're doing lovely. We're doing lovely in the middle of a heat wave here. It's above freezing for the first time in several days. Uh-huh. In, in, in the 50s. And just loving the daylights out of it. And if the weekend forecast holds, we may get out on two wheels for a, a, a little bit over the weekend. Oh, really? Uh-oh. Really? Do you guys have snow on the ground there, or is it just just chilly? Got the remnants of uh, snow that came uh, late last week. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because the day before it I left, been warm enough to melt. Yeah. The day before I left Lookout Point, we had a fairly good storm, um, ten or twelve inches. Um, and then since I've been gone, they had two days of rain. All right. I mean, it was like brutally cold, and then all of a sudden the temperature soared. 
and they literally got a day and a half of rain. They got like three, three or four inches of rain or something like that. Maybe not quite that much, but a lot of rain. Um, and my sister sent me a picture of, of her front yard there where the grass is all bare. And apparently a lot of the snow just all got washed away. So it's a crazy winter all over. It's a crazy winter hmm. all It is a crazy winter. Over. What's going on? Let's talk about general aviation. I know the A380s do cargo sometimes. Um, I, I just this is sort of a follow up. Um, I, in past over the past couple of years, one of the aircraft, one of the new gener- new types of aircraft that has caught my attention, anyways, is the Volocopter. The Volocopter is a uh, I'm not sure if it's eight or twelve rotor um, uh, full size person carrying um, uh, you know copter. And uh, and it and at uh, the big consumer electronics show, I, I oddly um, they had a big uh, introduction rollout where it actually flew for the first time in front of people. Um, oddly, it flew on a stage, a keynote stage inside the conference center. All right, uh, and if you looked closely, it was actually in one of these drone cages. It was actually netted off from the audience. I guess they. I kept watching this. And yeah, it was also tethered. It was tethered and uh, uh, yeah, and and it was netted in. I, I I was watching that, Jeb. I saw you watching that just a, a little while ago. Um, I, that, I watched that video and I kept thinking of the movie Mighty Joe Young. All right, do you remember the? <laughs> okay, it's like they had. I didn't the, see the movie, but yeah, you know, yeah. it's sort of the King Kong Mighty Joe Young kind of yeah. thing. All right, where the uh, gorilla has been has been captured and is now going to be put on display on a stage, and they've got it all chained down. And I'm thinking, oh, they don't want the thing escaping into the audience and doing crazy things but the uh apparently this is a milestone and that's why i wanted to mention it um i i would fly this airplane i i just like the volocopter all these these multi-rotor and they've got to have at least i would say six plus rotors um but these these multi-copters that are large enough to carry human beings is something that i would fly for sure i i think that's an intriguing um uh form factor um but would you fly to florida I don't know. I mean, you know, sure, why not? Florida's where it'd be fun to fly it, I guess. One of the places would be fun to fly it. Um, and uh, so so the Volocopter flew, and uh, we'll just kind of continue to follow that story. Um, and uh, there's the other one. What's the other one we saw? Oh, that's right. We saw it at... Uh, oh, it, but it's it was just a prototype. It was not even a prototype. It was a mock-up. Um, it didn't... Um, we saw, saw it at, uh, at uh, Oshkosh, I think we saw it last summer. I'm blanking on its name now. It has a it doesn't it has a weird name. It's like the new view, the new thing, whatever. You guys don't know what I'm talking about, do you? All right. No. No. Um, <laughs> it's a shame we can't go back and look at, you know, well, we prob- previous we- podcast episodes to see what we talked about. We probably could, <clears throat> but I guess we're not going to because I can I just get the feeling from across from from two rooms away that you just couldn't care less. Uh, no, I'm 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 going to do that for you while we're talking. Oh, you will. Okay, all right. Well, see, now I got a stretch. No, I'm going to move on to the next subject, and maybe we'll come back to this. Um, David, at the end of last episode, uh, we uh, we we ran out of time and we skipped a few things, and and uh, you said let's not skip this one. I want to talk about this one. Um, and I think that's the next item on the list, right, David? Is this the one you were talking about on on field? That's the one I was talking about. So, and and Jeb Jeb's put it on the list. Yeah, I just I, well, I just saw it and said, and, "Oh man, that's one we've got to talk about." And Jeb's, yeah. and Jeb's bit busy looking things up. So and David, you were particularly interested. I'm curious to hear why you were particularly interested in this. 
uh, it's such a great example of, of of cool in a crisis. Okay. Yeah. Uh, give us the that, that's yeah. Give us the the, well, the five sentence ex- description of what we're talking about here. Uh, gear extension system failure, terminal. <laughs> Okay. And a twin. All right. Twin you have, Comanche. You, twin Comanche. Okay. Yeah. So, so what happened here? Did it landed back at an airport? Um, did the gear fail, or uh, did it? Did they think it was going to succeed, and or did they know it was was uh, problematic? From, from what I was able to gather, trying to read up on this uh, after last week's podcast, the guy had exhausted his options okay. trying to get the wheels down. All right. Uh, he burned off uh, some fuel because, uh, like a lot of twin Comanches, got chip tanks. Uh, so he burned off fuel until he was light. Then he lined it up on the center line of this runway, and you see him get down lower and lower and lower. And you think, you know, is is this guy going to keep? Is is he going to do this with the engines running all the way to the to the, to the pavement? And just like two or three seconds before it touches down, he kills both engines and the props stop horizontally. And in my mind, he had to know that they did that every time. Yeah. Uh, and, and a lot of airplanes will do that. They'll really? stop at exactly the same spot every time. Yeah. I didn't know uh, that. Okay. So he had no prop strike, no engine tear down to worry about, uh, sheet metal damage. And if I remember right he didn't even put down flaps which would save them from uh having to be worked on or the flap drive mechanism failing mm-hmm. so uh, the guy did uh, an exceptional job yeah, yeah. Sounds and, just, like and then he popped out and trots over to crash fire and rescue guys <laughs> like could 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 you get a follow me truck out here <laughs> <laughs> jeb why did this catch your attention is, uh, for every reason that Dave just uh, just laid out, um, it's just a textbook um, uh, gear up landing. Um, the the uh, camera work is pretty good too. Yeah, uh, the, the guy's right on the center line. Um, he gets the prop stopped. Um, there's nothing at all wrong with this. And you know, then a few seconds after it comes to a stop, the the cabin door pops open and, and the pilot climbs out. He's by himself. Pilot climbs out and stands up and walks off the wing. It's a fairly short step to the ground. Uh, <laughs> and um, um, walks, you know, away from the airplane, gets to the to the right wing, turns around, sticks his hands in his pockets and looks at the airplane. And it's, it's just classic, uh, well, what am I going to do now? <laughs> that sounds great. You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So yeah, the 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 guy, the guy couldn't have done it any better. No, it's, it's, uh, again, it's right on the center line. It's it's um, uh, there's no damage except to the belly of the airplane. Um, it, again, it's just a classic uh, gear up, intentional gear up landing um, when you can't get the gear down. And he touched down so gently that I would bet that the uh, that the uh, repair work is going to be predominantly replacing the skins. That yeah. actually touched the surface, and maybe straightening out a couple of bulkheads that are just inside. Uh-huh. Uh huh. He'll, he'll need some new antennas. Um, uh, maybe a new um, uh, heater uh, exhaust pipe. I don't know. Can't really tell what's in the nose of that airplane as far as the heater is concerned. 
Yeah. But um, um, and he, you know, kind of saunters away, and and there's the CFR trucks, and everything's copacetic. How was your day? How was your day, Captain? Yeah. <laughs> so what's new with you? Yeah. The, uh, it was the third time I was watching this before it hit me that I was looking at a, a Comanche. Yeah. And I thought, and then watched him touch down. How how easily he he got it on the ground, and thought. You know, I know just what's going through that guy's head right now. Yeah, I've landed a twin Comanche before with the wheels down, and uh, it's not as easy as this guy makes it look to do it smoothly. No, really, it's not. What, what? Why? What are the issues? It's got a laminar flow wing, um, and it the, at least the twin Comanche I was flying tended to to want to quit flying. Um, before you were ready for it, too. Ah, okay. Um, Twin Comanches generally also, I mean, with two people in them, um, they're either at or or actually beyond the uh, forward uh, CG limit. You have to throw some weight in the back. Really? Okay. How do, how do you, you just do that by, by proper loading, or do they have ballast that they use? How do they do that? Yes, is the quick answer. You can throw some throw heavy luggage in the back, or you can carry some some plastic bottles and uh, fill them with water, pour water out, whatever you need to do for for weight and balance. I mean, typically, how much extra weight do you need to add in the back? Depends on how much you put up front. Yeah, I guess. I, 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 I realize that's a that's, yeah. Uh, you know, on my yeah. on my check ride, uh, I needed to move a hundred pounds from. Oh, I needed to add a hundred pounds in the in the uh, baggage compartment. Hundred pounds. That's what I was curious. Okay. All right. So a hundred pounds. Yeah. Because there were two big guys in the front seats. Right. Yeah. Does it get problematic then if passengers move around the cabin? Well, there ain't a whole lot of moving around the cabin. I was going to say they're not moving far. Okay. There <laughs> well, ain't a whole hell of a lot of moving around in the well, back seat I'm, of a, a three Comanche, or the front seats for that. Matter. I guess I had pictured it being a six seater. Is it only four seats? It's only four uh, seats. Four, four seats. seats. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. yeah. The only six seat Comanches were the uh, 260 Bravo and 260 Charlie. Mm-hmm. The, the, the Trink Comanche has two 160 horsepower engines. Yeah. From the factory, anyway. They they might have been re-engined. This airplane, I don't know. But uh, Twin Comanche, I flew anyway, had um, uh, two uh, IO uh, 320s, uh, like only IO 320s. Um, excuse me. For the reasons they're popular, they're really fuel efficient. <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay. Well, congratulations, this guy, on getting the airplane on the ground. You did go back to an airport, but, you know, you do what you need to do, and that sounds good. Um, and, uh, yeah, congratulations. Yeah. And they, they, they had to be a little bit of a pucker creator because you uh, you uh, definitely want to shut the engines down before you right. incur a prop strike. But you don't want to touch them, shut them down too soon. Yeah, because, yeah, because, oops, wait a minute, I, I still need that. Yeah, that's... Uh, well, I, the, the other good thing, though, <clears throat> you don't have to worry too much about braking action. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, now, where do you guys come out, where, where do you come down, so to speak, on the subject of landing on the pavement versus landing on the grass? Definitely land on the pavement. 
definitely on the pavement. Yeah, okay. That's what I've heard from others as well. Why? We'll dig in on the grass. It's so much less, it's so much more unpredictable. Yeah, unless you really pick the wrong runway, uh, the the pavement is going to be smooth, flat, and level. Mm -hmm. Um, The grass next to it, not so much. Yeah. Um, Yeah, there could be rocks just under the surface, uh, dips that you don't see because the mowing evens out the surface. uh, Definitely. Pick the smoothest part of the runway, which is generally right at the threshold. It doesn't get much use. Yeah. Hi, this is Jack. We here at Uncontrolled Airspace are very grateful for the financial support we receive from our listeners. There are two simple ways that you can contribute to this podcast. You can make a one-time, non-repeating donation by using PayPal. It doesn't need to be very much. As little as 10 or $15 is a big, big help. Or you can make an automatically repeating per-episode pledge with Patreon. With the online service Patreon.com, you can pledge as little as $1 per episode, put limits on your per-month contribution, and change or cancel your pledge at any time. For more information about how you can support this podcast in one of these ways, see the Uncontrolled Airspace homepage and the box in the right-hand column labeled Tip Jar. That will take you to a page with details on both these support methods. Thanks. So, moving on here. Let's see. So, anyway. The airport in at Turkey, this is the, the nation of Turkey over there in, in uh, uh, is Turkey Asia or Europe? I guess it's still Europe, right? It's still Europe. Yeah, still yeah, Europe. It's still Europe. Turkey, Tur- Turkey uh, Trabzon. Trabzon Turkey. Airport. So, Trabzon Airport's runway, or at least the runway I'm looking at here, runs along sort of the edge of the ocean. It's on a bluff overlooking the ocean. It's probably about... Uh- the Black feet. Sea, actually. Is it the Black Sea? Okay. The Black um, Sea. And the and the uh, runway uh, height is, uh, is uh, you know, uh, uh, what uh, f- five stories ish above the water, and and one hundred fifty, one hundred sixty yeah. feet. And the terrain drops yeah. off pretty dramatically along one edge of the runway. All right. And so if you're going to like veer off the runway, you want to veer off on the land side. Okay. Well, that's not what this guy did. You guys seen this? This what? 737 that. Uh, 737 800. That yeah. had, had some mm-hmm. sort of incident. I, I'm not clear. Do you guys have you guys read this carefully enough to figure out why he veered off the runway? Um, well, not, this particular article doesn't really get into that, but. Uh, subsequent coverage that I've, I kind of scanned, I didn't really pay that much attention to, um, had some kind of, of uh, problem with directional control. Um, I'm guessing either a brake issue or um, one engine didn't come out of reverse or one engine did come out of reverse or, or something like that. Right. Because he went off, he veered off the runway, he went over the edge of this bluff. Um, fortunately, I guess, if you want to call it that, um, the, the terrain at this particular point was sort of uh, sloped at a 45-degree angle down to the edge of the water. And the uh, aircraft, the nose of the aircraft, went fully three-quarters of the way down to the water. I mean, this has just got to be a, one of those moments. You know, it's like you're losing control of this airplane, and you feel like you're going over the edge of the cliff, and all you see is water. And uh, so uh, that, this must have been a moment. This must have been a, a serious moment. Yeah, any thoughts on this whole thing? It's just like, I don't know. Whoa, Nelly! Yeah, whoa, Nelly. Uh, they exited the wrong side of the airplane. I don't quite understand how that happened. All right? Did, at least if I've read this correctly, 
they alongside of so so the passengers um it turns out that the way the airplane came to rest on this slope one side of the airplane was fairly there was some clearance some distance to the ground all right um and the other side was pretty close and for some reason uh, they they popped the the door and the and the slide on the side that was higher um it, it turns out that if they had popped the door on the other side of the airplane they could have stepped out onto the ground and uh, I, I don't know whether that turned into a thing or not i know those slides can be dangerous in and of themselves so um but uh do you know have you seen this part of the story you know what i'm talking about here i'll see if i can find it in yeah. the, in the article here it's uh you know you, you you could monday morning quarterback this but you know you got 162 people on an airplane that's just plunged off the edge of a cliff and stopped uh about a quarter of an airplane length from the water's edge. And I would question how stable it was there. Yeah. Uh, you know, it could have started sliding down more. Uh, so any port in a storm, they're, yeah. they're going to replace those. They're going to replace those slides anyway. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> yeah okay. Yeah. They, they were probably getting close to their sell by date. Yeah. Okay. Something like that. Something. But this like that. this this incident is has re- resurrected conversations about uh, so called rudder blanking that was uh, instrumental in a couple of seven thirty seven accidents back. Gosh, what twenty years ago now? Really? Tell me what what uh, did you say? Rudder blanking. Yeah, what it's is- where the uh, the valving in the uh, system that operates the rudder back the actuator back in the tail when it, you get a little aggressive with the rudder it will reverse it, the motion it's supposed to be making really i mean and, I, that's, and hard over yeah that happened twice in flight that we know of right right i remember all those fatal stories. consequences both times so are you just speculating or have some of the reports suggested that that was a, a factor here it's resurrected uh conversations about that phenomenon uh-huh uh as as a possible contributor to it, and if I remember right, and I don't know for sure here, but so many airliners don't use rudders for nose wheel steering; they use a tiller, a little right. wheel. Right. Yep. Uh, so the rudder is only the rudder pedals are only moving the rudder. Right. And uh, I question the rudder blanking thing because. It, it would have had to have been going at a pretty good clip for the rudder to be effective. Seven thousand, seven thousand feet down an eight thousand plus foot runway. That's what I was going to say. They could still be going, going fast enough for the rudder to power it off the edge like that. Right. That's that was my first thought too. That they couldn't have been going terribly fast. I mean, also given you know the the extent to which they went over the edge, they, it suggests they weren't going very very fast. Um, but uh, you know, anyways, yeah. that's interesting. Either that or the flight crew was trying to uh, try their hand at hang gliding and yeah. decided to put launch off at a cliff. Get some good ridge lift right there, man. That's that's what you're doing. Right there, yeah, man. Maybe a little weak for the weight, but... <laughs> or not, right? Or not. Okay. Oh, <laughs> uh, I don't know. What else? Uh, so... I saw in this news story in the last day or so um, that uh, New Jersey has made it a crime to... I'm sorry, I'm trying to find the, the story here. Where'd it go? Uh, so, New Jersey has bank, 
has banned drunk drone flying. Um, they've basically made a law that says in New Jersey, if you are above an alcohol blood alcohol limit similar, or actually I think it's identical to the automobile limits, um, you may not fly a drone. Now, putting aside for a moment whether or not this is a wise, you know, prudent law, whether this is useful or not, it doesn't seem totally outrageous, but that's not my point here, is I thought that we established some time ago that only the federal government can make laws related to aviation. Isn't that still Oh, you mean preemption. Is that what it's called? Yeah. Yeah. So New Jersey's trying to regulate drones, which have been pretty much established as being part of the aviation, you know, regulatory infrastructure, right? And, uh, Uh right? What's what's preemption? Well, preemption's when the federal government makes a law or a state government makes a law that takes away lower government entities' ability to regulate it differently. And, and I'm correct that that it's this has been this has been you know an issue or has been resolved any number of times that local government can't make laws, you know you can't prohibit overflight. I mean, you know, a town can't prohibit overflight of foo of some area um, and whatnot, right? So how can New Jersey do this? You think they can do this? Uh, I think I think a court's probably going to decide that pretty yeah. early. Okay. All right. Clearly, I'm not getting you guys fired up. Come on, you're supposed to get fired up about no, this. Yeah. Bang your yeah, shoe on the I, table I, or something, okay? Yeah. I can't I can't get too excited about this. I'm trying to figure out I mean Okay, I guess a drunk with a with a drone, you know, can certainly um create havoc, but so can a sober guy with a drone. So that doesn't really interest me. What I'm trying to what I'm trying to get my arms around is what constitutes a motor vehicle in in many states. And I think in some states, I'm not, I'm not an attorney, but uh, um, I think in in many states, um, some states, let's put it that way, motor vehicle, the definition of a motor vehicle encompasses a boat mm-hmm. as well as an airplane. Right. Right. But, and, but airplanes are well, we, a special I think that's, case. I think that's rather well-settled law, actually. Um, so that a, a state law enforcement officer could um, take someone into custody if they were drunk flying, yeah. drunk piloting. Right. Um, without it's such a done. law, without, yeah, without such a law, um, I'm not sure... <clears throat> That a state official, I don't know, can state officials implement federal law? Can they, I, would, I don't know, I presume they can, I don't know. I would think they can. I don't know. I would think well, they we can. Well, we know, we know pilots have been removed from aircraft and arrested by local officials. Right. For being drunk in the cockpit. And they've been prosecuted and, 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 and you know, they, they were prosecuted, convicted, adjudicated, uh, you know, if it was a commercial pilot, they probably lost their job. Uh, if it was a private pilot, the FAA would then get into the act after that conviction, right? And right. take action against the pilot. Well, here's one. So area, this isn't. Here's one this way is, that I think it gets is, interesting. Is, 
Yeah, I'm sorry, David. Go ahead. I was just going to say, this isn't uh, creating territory that states don't already have enforcement activity in. It's just expanding the definition to drones. Well, here's where I think it kind of gets interesting, okay? So if we accept that, generally speaking, local and state government cannot create regulations um, over pilots while flying their airplanes, in other words, while you're in the air, all right? The thing to remember is that a drone pilot is not in the air. A drone pilot is on the ground. And so Correct. I, I wonder if there's a that's the sort of loophole gutcha that allows state and local governments to regulate drone people. I also wonder whether or not this is going to apply to um, recreational drone people or, or even the recreational, you know, the RV people, uh, the RC uh, people. Um, you know, because, you know, I, and I say this with all love and respect, but the, these guys that go out on Saturday morning to fly their, you know, beautiful B-52 scale models, all right, um, I wouldn't put it past them to have a beer or two um, while they're doing this. <laughs> I don't know about that. I, I, I don't know. I mean, that's a recreation. It's, it's not. It's a Saturday morning thing. They fly within sight. It's, it's, it's what they do. And maybe they don't. Maybe I'm being unfair. And, I, and I don't, I'm not suggesting that they're reckless. Um, I'm just saying that, that it's, a, it's, a, it's a social Saturday morning activity. And they often, those things often involve beers or Saturday I, afternoon. I think they're... I think their operating code discourages that okay. because well, you may be right. You know, it, it can affect your depth perception. It can affect your motor response. A lot of these RC places where they're flying drones and regular radio-controlled aircraft, uh, you know, they bring the kids out. Set an example you want to set for the kid. Hey, kid, we're going to have a hobby. Uh, we're going to fly dangerous objects at high speed while we're having beers. <laughs> okay. uh, you're don't think it flies. You're probably right. You're probably right. I'm sure there are many listeners, not the least of which is our friend Jeff Ward, who is yelling at their pods, their iPods right now because they're RC people and they know what they're doing and they know how it works, and I don't. So, anyways. And and, and while we're at it, some of those arrests of pilots for being intoxicated in the cockpit, they never moved. The airplane never moved. They never got off the ground. It didn't push from the gate. It didn't taxi the runway. Oh, okay. Well, that's... It was on the ground. Right. I, I, can, I can totally imagine that it might be okay for state and local government to make laws that apply to this stuff before they've actually taken off. I just... I thought, well, the police have been called to, to arrest pilots, flight crew members, after they landed because yeah. the first officer or the captain found out that they were intoxicated. Right. All right, yeah. guys, now, this, this is important. Now, listen up. Okay. Well, while y'all were, you know, running your gums here, I've been, you know, exercising with the Google. And, <laughs> and it's important that we understand this particular <clears throat> nuance in this particular state okay. that I'm looking at. And the state, however, the state here is Wisconsin. Okay. The state, and, wait a minute, the state for what? For this drone law? No, 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 no. Intoxicated flying in Wisconsin. Okay. Wisconsin State Statute 114.09, paragraph 1. All right. No person may operate an aircraft in the air or on the ground or water while under the influence of intoxicating liquor or controlled substances or controlled substance analogs. Yada yada yada. Um, to, to the under the combined influence of to which renders him or her incapable of safely operating an aircraft. Okay, Wisconsin has this law. This is Wisconsin. Now, yeah, other states do too. 
And how are those laws different than the, than, than the FAR that says eight hours, bottle of throttle kind of stuff? The, the, the impact here is that there is a state law, not just a federal regulation. All right. Listeners who know more about the law than obviously I do, please fill us in. Seriously, I'm, I'm serious. Yeah, um, where, where's Tupper when you really need Tupper, him, right? that's right. That's who we need to talk to. We need to talk to Tupper. All right, I'll, te- I'll check in with Tupper before the next episode, and we'll, we'll get some, some idea of what's going on here. But uh, well, I, Just remember, the, mes- the message here is clear. Don't drink and drone. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm going to come get you. I'm going to come hurt you for that. <laughs> Shout outs. What do we got here? What's going on here? Uh, there's a couple things here. I don't know. I, are these shout outs? What, I don't have anything. So I'll let you guys go or not, as the case may be. Say that again. I'm saying shout outs. <laughs> oh, no, I'm still, do I'm still researching. Do you have flying. any shout outs? I'm still researching drunk flying. Sorry. Oh, okay. Do you have, um, if you have more to report. Shout outs. Yes, I do have one, but I'll let someone else go first. David. Yeah, well, this is a shout-out, excuse me, to all the high school students who may have wandered into our little hangar to listen to us from time to time. General Aviation Manufacturers Association has opened up the application period for scholarships for students that want to pursue aviation careers. Uh, You can get the application through the link that we'll have on the website. Uh, application date closes in April, so you got time to pull it together, get your transcripts, get it all uh, right and ready, and see if you can't uh, land yourself a piece of an aviation education through Gamma. Cool. Cool. Jeb, did you find it? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. This is a piece uh, I came across... um, in the Michigan Engineering Bicentennial Web Project, I don't remember where I where I came across this link. Um, could have been General Aviation News, could have been EAA, could have been uh, some other um, uh, outlet. But this is a kind of a profile or a remembrance of a guy by the name of Ed Lesher, um, who uh, is a member of the Michigan, I think, Aviation Hall of Fame. He was an aeronautical engineer at the University of Michigan, a professor there, uh, and uh, um, worked uh, at the Douglas Aircraft Company in the uh, 30s and 40s, uh, especially the 40s, worked there during World War II, um, and uh, designed two uh, fairly interesting aircraft. One was called the Nomad. The second one was called the Teal, as in the color teal. Um, and um, set some records uh, with the Teal. Uh, both of these were uh, pusher-configured aircraft, uh, airplanes, I should say, where the engine is mounted pretty much uh, uh, amidships, and a drive shaft uh, uh, turns the propeller at the at the tail. And um, uh, some interesting engineering details. The interesting story about the guy. Um, uh, I I. Didn't read that much of it to know if he's still with us or not. But uh, back in the 60s, he flew uh, flew the Teal, uh, um, set some records, some uh, international uh, world records. Um, and uh, quite uh, quite the interesting uh, story, quite the interesting individual. So uh, a shout-out to uh, Ed Lesher. 
cool. That's very interesting. Oh, yeah. Yeah. David, anything else? Oh, just a little personal one. Shout out to uh, my friends Amanda and and uh, Ryan. Ryan's captain in the Air Force, navigator on KC-135s. Uh, we uh, we met at uh, Stearman Field the uh, weekend before last to uh, have breakfast while Ryan was taking instrument duel from an instructor named Joe, also Air Force, uh, and brought along his lovely fiance uh, Amanda, who is a brewer at one of our local brew pubs here. Ooh. And uh, nice nice folks. Uh, Ryan's uh, actively pursuing his instrument rating, which was perfect for the day that we met for breakfast at Stearman Field because I think the overcast was about 3,500 feet with light rain. So they made a flight up to uh, Emporia, Kansas, shot an approach, came back, shot an approach, uh, got some real. It was warm enough not to have to sweat icing in the 172 that they were in. So, Very cool. Very cool. Yep. Yeah. Keep it up, Ryan. Keep it up. Yeah. Well, thank you, guys. It's always a pleasure. Love getting together with you. Uh, uh, Jeb, well, it's always weird when I'm here as well, Jeb. But that's but, but first of all, Jeb, thank you so much, for again, for having me down here. And uh, My pleasure. Uh, My pleasure. We'll, we'll, once we finish this up, you're, you're, we'll wander back to the hangar and see if we can repair the damage. And uh, You're, you're kind of you're handy to have around. <laughs> I hope so, all kidding aside. I do hope so. <laughs> I do hope so. Uh, Dave Higdon is an aviation photographer and aviation journalist and the U.S. editor for London's Ab Buyer Magazine. Dave, what have you been working on? Anything fun? Oh, working on a. Uh, I submitted a piece for my business aviation blog, which would uh, should run tomorrow, uh, Friday. The uh, what is tomorrow? The nineteenth. Uh, on how the window is closing on uh, getting your airplane compliant with ADSB out. Uh, we're now officially under two years, and about the time you hear this, will be you know, twenty. 23 months and a week out and for folks operating heavier iron and uh in higher density airports there's also a controller pilot data link communications deadline coming up uh first of february of 2020 so these two mandates are already starting to cause backlogs in the avionics shops and time to get yourself in gear if you haven't done it and and while we're looking ahead uh, to what the rest of this year and perhaps even the next year might bring, um, just uh, kind of a reminder of something we talked about in the last episode, uh, which is, uh, here we go again, um, FAA reauthorization, uh, looking at March 31 uh, deadline for the current extension, and uh, ATC privatization uh, remains a big part of that overall equation. Uh, so if you haven't picked up your telephone lately and called your Congress critter and told them that you do not support uh, uh, privatizing the ATC system, now's a good time. True, true. And if you, even if you have, doing it again, not yeah. going to hurt. That's right. That's right. That's right. Uh, David, where can people find you on the Internet? Oh, avbuyer.com. You can click on publications and find my business aviation blog and some of my features of Avionics News Magazine at AEA.net. Uh, uh, otherwise, you know, just 
hang around Riverside and Wichita. We'll cross paths. That's right. That's right. On Twitter, you're very active on Twitter these days. I, I thought I was active on Twitter, but you're 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 putting me to shame these days. So uh, on Twitter, you are uh, what? Real Higdon. Real, real Higdon. Yeah. Real Higdon. Real Higdon. And Jeb Burnside. Jeb's a, a freelance aviation writer and editor, serving as the editor in chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. What have you been working on, Jeb? Nothing. I've been working on uh, a natural axe with air compressors. Uh, <laughs> I was going to um, say, blow it up stuff. <laughs> blow it up stuff. Make it pop. Um, uh, and I, uh, I'm going to have to wind that down uh, this week, this weekend, and get back to uh, trying to make uh, make a living. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, work on the, I guess it'd be, gosh, it's going to be the March issue of Aviation Safety Magazine. Wow. Uh, coming soon to a post office box near you. There you go. There you go. Where can people find out yeah. about these, this, all these things on the internets? All these things. Uh, AviationSafetyMagazine.com, uh, personal website, <clears throat> which I really shouldn't even mention, but uh, uh, .com. Uh There is also... Um, AEA.net, where I do some writing for uh, the Aircraft Electronics Association also. You can find some of my stuff on uh, AIN Online, on uh, generalaviationnews.com, and on avweb.com, among others. Very cool. Did you say Twitter? <clears throat> yeah, Burnside J on, on the Twitter machine. There you go. There you go. And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a digital media producer. Um, let's see, in addition to the home improvement projects that we referred to, I think I alluded to this the other day. I, I'm developing some new podcasting projects, uh, uh, only vaguely aviation-related, but uh, a little bit. And uh, I, I'm hoping to have more to say about that um, soon, maybe even as soon as the next episode, but time will tell. So, uh, And if you want to follow that, uh, go to you can just keep an eye on jackhodgson.com, which is where I be, start posting information about these kind of other projects I'm working on. Um, in a couple of weeks, um, after I've completely worn out my welcome here at the Hidden River Home, uh, I will be re- continuing my uh, 2018 Escape from Winter. That's the, that's the name of the uh, special. You know how they have a... Da, 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 escape from winter 2018 um, I will be relocating to the left coast where I will uh, be visiting with our pal Will Hawkins for a little while and I'm really looking forward to that too so uh, uh, I'm going to be doing the California thing for a little while I may even actually try and go flying out of my old Palo Alto airport that would be really cool um, haven't done that in a long 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 time so uh, uh, that's that's one of the things I'm working on. Um, you can stay in touch with me uh, through uh, my YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash Jack Hodgson. Uh, on Amazon, you can search for my Around the Field books by searching for literally the words Around the Field in the books section of Amazon. You can follow me on Twitter, where it's twitter.com slash Jack Hodgson. Or you can sign up for my email newsletter and learn more about me than you ever really wanted to know at jackhodgson.com. David, was there something you wanted to tell us? We started off the year really well. You're living well. Live longer. Go fly. Because time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. Bye-bye. And that's enough talking. Let's go flying. There is no Jack H like our Jack H. Jack H.